chapter. Um, possibly we'll see if that really happens. But uh, chapter four, um, fascinating on Paul's continuing to argue that uh, we are justified by faith alone and not by works. And he is throwing his argument um, for sure. Um, Grant, would you... I think let's start by reading the whole thing. Could we read all the way from 9 to um, 25? Sure. And then if you would pray for us. Um, sometimes we say we'll get to work, but it's not the work like post-fall work that's uh, like hard. I think it's like the pre-fall work before Adam and Eve when they just worked for fun and enjoyed it. I think when you're working on uh, these passages, that would be more if we're getting to work. It's the... Uh, it's the kindness just enjoyable in, in here. So, so many great truths to uh, um, try to get to. Grant, how about reading for us and praying, and we'll, okay. we'll go to it. Sounds good. <clears throat> Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? <clears throat> for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he, was, he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs faith is null and the promise is void for the law brings wrath but where there is no law there is no transgression that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all as it is written I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you have provided that we can gather together as a local body once again and discuss your word. Father, I pray that um, we would grow to love your word more, that we would come to understand what it means to be justified by faith alone, apart from any works or any signs uh, or any human intervention, Father. But I pray that we would come to a full understanding of that, that it would um, change how we act during the week that we would produce good fruit in light of that truth, Father, that you have justified us on the part of not our good works, but the good works of your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray that the discussion today would be fruitful. Um, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. One of the commentators said, and I found this fascinating, I had never heard it before. We maybe talked about it last week, but I think I forgot. That Genesis 15, 6, where Abraham believed God and God credited to him his righteousness. He said, as far as salvation, that might be the most important verse. Josh, we were talking about that a second. Because it's quoted three other times in the New Testament, right? Do you think that could be the case? And if so, why? <laughs> I do Two-part think, question for you. Yeah, um, I do think that verse is, or that idea, that this idea of righteousness being credited, quoted three times in the New Testament, means it has a really important place in our Bibles and how we understand salvation. For sure. I, I forgot the second part of that. Yeah, why? Why do you think so? Um... Three times. That's pretty convincing. (laughs) That, you know, that's what got me. I thought, well, I don't know how many Old Testament quotes are quoted three times. I thought, there might be a number of them, but that one, for that to to continue to come up, and you said it was in different authors. Different authors. James, Paul here in Romans, and then Paul again in Galatians. Galatians. Yeah, so that's, that's something. Zach Wood did a great job last week of talking um, about faith and one thing that I thought was uh, I wanted to come back to was MacArthur gave it an acronym, helps us to remember it. The F was for um, oh boy the facts. The F was for the facts. We've got we have to believe the facts. And then we have to be in agreement with them. A. Agreement. Third was internalization. You have to internalize uh, these facts. Fourth is trust. Then you have to trust, and I think this is different than the way the demons believe. Remember, those guys believe and they shudder, but they're not trusting Jesus for for salvation. And then there's a hope, and we're going to get in on the on this hope again. Hope in the New Testament usually is an assurance of what's going to happen. It's not iffy, but here there's the way Paul uses it. There is this a hope against hope. It's not that Abraham, what he hoped for, um, he was sure of in in this. When we come to this uh, hope against hope. Just a quick word or two about um, 9 to 12 there. That it was definitely from 1 to 8 that we're not saved because of our works. Right, boy, that was really clear. And he's going to continue to pound that point. But 9 to 11, the Jews would have thought, hey, I think we're saved because we're Jews, right? We're just saved because we've been circumcised. They haven't, maybe because of that. And in this passage as well, not only the emphasis that the Gentiles can be saved as well, the inclusion of the Gentiles, but also this idea that circumcision or whatever fill in the blank with our day okay to say whether someone feels like they've prayed a prayer or they got baptized or they're just pretty nice or they're whatever they're counting on that that isn't what saves them and so here he's saying that it's not by circumcision right which would have restricted righteousness to the jews and he gives this great reasoning. Um, Shane's going to help us here in a second. And Paul, as Shane was talking about how Paul is so logical in this. And this is a, a simple argument. And what is it? That Abraham 
was declared righteous before he was circumcised. So what does that mean? It couldn't be circumcision that saved him. Right? In chapter 15, he's declared righteous. In chapter 17 in Genesis, he's circumcised. How many years was it? 14? Something. There was a number of years. I almost think it was 14 years. So it couldn't have been from that. And so that was Paul's uh, argument from there. And then verse 12, um, just one quick word on that. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. We also are saved by faith. They were saved by faith. We're saved by faith. Everybody that will walk in the footsteps of faith. And I thought that was challenging. Are we daily walking in the footsteps of faith? Are we believing God? Are we believing God? Because that's how we're saved, and then that's also how we grow in sanctification, I think, um, in, that, in that same way. Josh, verse 13, what do you, which, help us here. Yeah, maybe, can I just maybe frame chapter 4 as we get ready to dive into it, and this is just something I got from Steve Lawson, but it was so helpful to me, Jerry, as I was sort of looking at the whole chapter from the top down. But Lawson said the Apostle Paul, the master teacher, begins with three, I guess, negative denials on the nature of faith. Uh, we looked at one, verses 1 through 8 last week. Um, that Abraham was not justified by good works. Uh, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Then what Jerry just went through in, in verses 9 through 12, it was not, Abraham was not justified by ceremonial rituals or rites, that being circumcision. And by extension, neither are we. And then 13 through 15, his third um, negative denial, we're not justified by law-keeping. And uh, the law, you know, look here in verse 13, it didn't come for about 430 years later. And so Abraham couldn't have been justified by the law. And then 16 and onward, he's going to paint a, a positive affirmation of the nature of true faith, uh, which we'll get into. Um, so maybe that just from, from a, a top-down view helps to orient chapter 4 with these three negative denials about faith and then, and then the positive affirmation of what faith is. Good. And Trider says, let's not miss it. He said some commentators will talk about, will, will emphasize the faith versus law in 13 to 16. And some commentators, he said, uh, will emphasize the inclusion of the Gentiles and he just said, we just need to really stress both of those. That Paul is talking about both of those things. That it is faith, not by obeying the law. Grant, anything um, there for us? Uh, yeah. One, one thing with chapter 4 is, I don't know about y'all, but I've always kind of struggled with um, chapter 4 in Romans to just relate to why we go to Abraham. But it, it, it made more sense to me, I think I said this last time, with propitiation that God... Um, in the Old Testament, the saints were saved the same way that we are by faith, but the punishment was delayed, um, so God could have been accused of being unrighteous, so therefore he sent his son at the perfect time um, to be a propitiation for Abraham, just as he is propitiation for us. Um, but he brought that point up that in the Old Testament, um, the saints were sa saved by faith just as we are, and so then he transitions directly into, into uh, the example, the prime example of that with Abraham, who would have been an extremely important example for the Jewish mind, as well as David, some of their two most important characters, because they had elevated 
um, Abraham to a, MacArthur said, basically a level that he was one of the most righteous people uh, that kept the law and everything he did in their mind and would have been saved through the law-keeping rather than faith. And so he dismantles that by showing the prime example, the father of them all, was saved by faith. The, the ones that the Jews in John's gospel, you always see them um, trying to relate back that we're actually children of Abraham. Um, that, that guy, and, and MacArthur calls him uh, Chaldean Gentile, because he wasn't a Jew. Um, I don't really know how to, how to think about that, but he was saved by faith before circumcision, before the law even came. And so that, I think, is really important to um, see that Paul is building an argument here because we'll get to chapter 5. We'll start with a therefore, and chapter 5 has a ton of great stuff in it, and a lot of people you'll see memorize chapter 5. And if you are, were like me and you go to chapter 1, it makes sense. Chapter 3, there's a high point about the gospel. Chapter 5, um, that we have peace with God, and there's some great things to memorize there. And then 6 and 7 are pretty helpful about um, sanctification and then eight has all these great promises but they're kind of disconnected from one another but with five you're starting with a therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and that is grounding on everything that we're doing right here yeah. with Abraham in chapter four but anyway starting in verse 13 um, this is a curious phrase for me when I was reading it for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith um, that heir of the world. I didn't quite know what that meant um, when I first read it because it's not explicitly found in any of the individual promises that were promised to Abraham. But MacArthur says if you take the agglomeration of all those promises, uh, that's what it's getting at. Heirs of the whole world, and this is to quote MacArthur, how do you break that down? What do you mean you'll be heir of the world? Well, in a simple sense, it means that in the end you will be, to borrow New Testament language, a joint heir with Christ, and you will inherit everything that is Christ's, the New Testament view of it. We who come to God by faith, we who believe the promise of salvation will inherit everything. Everything is ours in Christ. And he quotes 1 Corinthians 1.30, By his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But he also says not only the spiritual heirs, but literally of the new earth. One day the new heaven and the new earth will belong to us. And I thought that was just a wonderful little snippet here that was put in by Paul into Romans 4. It's so important. For me, it was extremely important when I became a Christian at North Avenue. I was in grad school, and one of the highlights that Mark would continually pound home in a lot of those meetings was um, what the new earth was going to be like. Um, and it sort of pulled the rug out, of, out from under me of this idea of just this ethereal, cloud-like existence where you're singing a hymn nonstop for eternity, which at the time had no appeal to me. And I remember just... Uh, I was in grad school and was extremely um, dissatisfied with life in general, and the thought of that being what heaven was, I didn't understand it. And when Mark presented the biblical view that we will be heirs with Christ of a new creation, there will be things to do, things to accomplish, we'll get to know God more and more and more progressively um, for eternity, that was just so good. And MacArthur sort of rounds it off with, um, what did Abraham believe then? He believed in the promise of God, of salvation, a salvation that would make him an heir of the world, a salvation that would include land, a nation, blessing to the world, and most importantly, the seed, the promised seed. Did Abraham connect that with Genesis, the seed of the woman who would come to bruise the serpent's head? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did, is what MacArthur said. And I thought that was so good, tying that back in, that um, there was 
the, the physical land of Canaan, but that was just a down payment for the uh, inheritance of the whole world, and that Abraham most likely was connecting that back to the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. I thought that was so good. Wow, that's, that's super interesting. And you might be mad at Grant right now. I'll bet you well. We about there goes the baby playing harps that you were really looking for, the old bass, the old beast baby, um, playing the harp up there, that that's what heaven's all about. Grant says no, so talk to Grant afterwards if you have a little beef with that, and then he'll punch you to Mark. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just want to point out this the irony. Look at verse fifteen. Uh, Paul says, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. And so for the Judaizers who were trying to obtain God's favor for by keeping the law, the irony is that there's no way to obtain God's favor by keeping the law. It can only uh, bring God's wrath. And so this effort uh, is really working against them and doing the opposite. And I think Paul makes that really clear in verse 15. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that. Thomas was talking about that this week. We're going to come back to that thought um, for sure. End of chapter 5. Oh, man. And you, you say, well, wait a second. If there was no law, there was no transgression. But what we do know is if you remember from 132, we're going back a few months here, though they knew God, this is the pagan here, Though they knew God's righteous decree and that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do these, um, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So remember that the Jew had the law, but the Gentile had the law written on their heart, right? And so we do uh, remember that 2.12, for all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So it doesn't mean completely that they weren't guilty. And we know that they were guilty of sin. Why? Because they died. Right? From Adam to Moses, they didn't have the law, but they still died. And they, they, so the penalty of sin was still, you know, was still definitely there. Good. So when we get to, let's kind of keep going here, verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed. I just think this is probably overly simplistic, but our faith is based on the character of God. And so when I have a lack of faith, which is really daily, right, in some way or another, where I'm not believing God's promises as I should, it's a lack of believing the character of God. If you can get your hands on, uh, and we maybe need to make some of these available, Bridges' book on um, trusting God. Josh, didn't you say you? Have you already? Yeah. I read it a long time ago. Oh, man, it's so good. I'm not, and he just says there's three things. That anytime we have a lack of faith, let's kind of go through the little Rolodex. He's all loving, so he wants what's, so he knows what's best for us. He's all-loving, so he can do what's best for us. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, so he knows. He's all-loving, so he always plans on doing what's best for us and does it. And, and his arm's never too short, right? He's never not powerful enough to accomplish that. So Bridges' point is, when we're not trusting him, we are doubting one of those three things. And uh, and it's a fantastic treatise on uh, you know our, our heart not trusting him like we ought. And so... I want to come back here to Abraham a second because I don't think I realized, and this is from MacArthur, I'm asking Josh 
to read that, probably starting from right there. MacArthur talks about Abram in a way that I wouldn't have realized how embarrassing it is that over and over and over, people are coming by, travelers are coming by, and they're asking, well, what's your name? Well, my name's Abraham, the father of many. And then they say, what's the next question? Well, how many kids do you have? And then he's got to say, I'm the father of none. And, and, and just how, and, and this is from Barnhouse, who is before Boyce in, uh, what's the name of that church? Tenth Pres, Fifth Pres, Sounds a good. number of Preses <laughs> up in uh, Pennsylvania. Okay, and so this is, listen to this, this is kind of interesting. I don't know, we don't know, but this is Barnhouse's thoughts on what Abraham would have been uh, up against here. It must have happened a hundred times, a thousand times, and each time more galling than the time before. Oh, father of many? Congratulations. And how many sons do you have? And the answer was so humiliating to Abram. None. And many a time there must have been the half-concealed snort of humor at the incongruity of the name and the fact that there were no children to back up such a name. Abram must have steeled himself for the question and the reply and have hated this situation with great bitterness. Father of many, father of none. The possibilities were varied, and I believe that it is possible to detect in the psychology of the narrative the fact that there was much gossip about it. The servants who heard the jokes and who saw Abram's embarrassment repeated the details with embroidered variations. It was a world of cloth and goatskins where all lived in tents and where there was little privacy from the eyes and none in the realm of the ears. There must have been many conversations on the subject. Who was sterile, Abram or Sarah? Was he really a full man? Oh, he was the patriarch. His word was law. He had the multitude of cattle and the many servants, but he had no children, and his name was Father of Many. Yeah, so you, you think, who? I, I think sometimes I don't realize the position that Abram was in. Because haven't any, all of us said, what kind of a knucklehead are you for having Ishmael? That's a horrible decision. Why would you do that? Why did you not try? Yeah, here we're talking about what a great man of faith he is. And yet he did things. Remember his wife? That's my sister. Remember Ishmael? It wasn't 100%, right? And that's why, again, it is good that neither Abraham nor David nor us are saved by our works. Because... We don't have the works to back it up. We cannot um, live 100% righteous, or and you know your own heart, or even close. So this is an interesting thing to think. Man, Abraham, he was, uh, that had to be a struggle. And it wasn't just for a short time. This is for years after more years, years after years. And so, um I really love when we get to, and we're going to spend our majority of our time here from about 18, and, uh, and I want to go through MacArthur and give seven uh, kind of ca characteristics of Abraham's faith um, here, which are, um, I think, inspiring. And some of them are kind of convicting. So, verse 18, um, what he gives calls life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, 
so shall your offspring be. As many as stars in the sky, um, sand on the seashore, right? So number one, if you're making a list of them, in hope against hope, he believed. Number two, he believed without becoming weak in his faith. Look at verse 19. He did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about as 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So number one, when we're talking about Abraham's faith here, it was in hope against hope that he believed. Secondly, he believed without becoming weak in his faith. Um, I thought, well, wait a second here. Wasn't he weak in his faith? Someone, one of the commentators explained, wavering in your faith does not the same as doubting. And, and I don't know kind of how to judge between the two, maybe. And we maybe need to ask the Lord, you know, when we're struggling to believe, like, is this, is, is this a wavering? Is this doubting? But this is very inspiring to say we can trust God. God's character is such, and he just wants to be believed. Remember that from last week? We need to believe him. We need to believe him. And again, such odds that we're going to see here in a second. Anything on those first two, 18 or 19 there? So far? Shroner just had a good comment on the last thing that you said, that Paul uh, is not trying to chronicle in detail the ups and downs of faith in the life of Abraham. The words he did not doubt characterized the basic pattern and direction of Abraham's life, which was ultimately typified by trusting God, not by doubt. He didn't waver in the sense that he persevered and pers uh, persisted in faith. Yeah, there you go. Mark says that sometimes, doesn't he? That, that salvation is not perfection, but it's a change of direction. Is that what I'm hearing you say, kind of? Yeah. That he's consistently growing in his ability to trust God. That's sanctification. For you. Any thoughts on that, Josh? Not right now. Okay, good. Number three. Now, this is the one that's convicting. Three and four here, five go together a little bit. Faith, faith kept Abraham from becoming discouraged about his own natural weaknesses. Faith, keep, because what's his natural weaknesses? He's 100, almost 100. He's as good as dead. There's no way he's having kids. Well, man, now what do we do? Right? He's got 14-year-old Ishmael that's illegitimate. He has no kids. He's going to have promised by God as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the uh, sand on the seashore. And yet he is, there is a 0% chance physically, or if we're living by sight and not by faith, that, that this is going to work. And what was kind of interesting to me, and I don't know which is a harder battle, but I'd like to kind of ask you to, to think about it. The both are mentioned here in 19. His natural weaknesses, and then somebody else's, his wife. Right? Because she's 90. The barrenness of Sarah's womb. Not only is she 90, where you never see a nursery in the nursing home, Right? There isn't little guys in the nursing home for the 90-year-olds. But also, she's never had kids. It's not only that she's 90. It isn't like she had six kids before that, and now she's too old to have them. She's never had, and she's 90. And what was convicting to me 
was, Alan, you've reminded me of this a hundred times in all of us at church, uh, 200 times maybe, is God's grace is sufficient and what? His power is made perfect in weakness. Here, Abraham was completely weak physically. Completely. He had no ability to have a child. And yet, he believed God. And it made me think, I wonder if I struggle more with, I have such a, uh, an alphabetical list of weaknesses that I struggle with. But God's grace is sufficient, isn't it? And think about your own weaknesses. God is not one bit hindered by any weakness that you have, whether that's physically, whether that's, in fact, what do we know from 2 Corinthians 12? His grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. Our weaknesses put God on display. They show others, that shows others, that God's working in you and working through you and not you yourself. And so I want to learn and grow in not being so grumpy about my weaknesses and not also being so grouchy about other people's weaknesses. What about Sarah? She has no ability either. And, and Abraham trusted that neither one, neither his weaknesses or someone else's was going to hinder his faith. Any thoughts on, on that? Which would you say can be a bigger roadblock in, in if you're thinking about your guys' faith? Other people where you're saying, oh, no, look at what they're doing. You know, they're blousing things up. Or your own weaknesses. Hmm. I mean, I haven't thought about it till you just now brought it up, but I guess I would want to probably get involved with um, trying to help maybe someone else in their weakness or you know I wouldn't probably worry so much about my own if I was I would trust that God would provide some sort of strength yeah. for me but it would be harder to trust um, without wanting to intervene in some capacity when someone else is like yeah. say like your wife is barren. Do you guys you see what we're asking kind of here is it harder for us to trust when someone else outside of us is lousing things up or when our own weaknesses are, are getting us? Which, which do you think? I think I struggle in both probably, but which is harder? Yeah, right. Yep, that's good. For sure a battle. Anybody else? Is one harder or easier than the other to to trust God? I think internal is harder. Like if you're facing your own weaknesses, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And for whatever reason, sometimes we count those. God, now this is so hard to believe in regular everyday life, but God gave you those weaknesses, Right. God made you like that. And so let's really this week, I just think this is very practical. Let's this week rejoice in our sufferings. And we're going to get to that next week when we're talking about Romans 5. Because most of the time our sufferings are based on some sort of weakness or somebody else 
causing us some sort of grief. Let's rejoice in those knowing that God is not hindered by them. And I find it interesting, isn't it something that uh, when you say number four, and we're going to come to you, Shane, here uh, in a second. Number four, God did not doubt God's promise when the circumstances around him seemed to make it look impossible. God did not doubt God's promise when the circumstances around him seemed to make it impossible. How fun is it to live for the Lord Jesus where circumstances have nothing to do with anything? They are completely irrelevant when it comes to the believer. Don't worry about your circumstances, whatever they are, because they have nothing to do with anything. God is faithful. God will do what he intends to do. God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. All things really do work together for good because we love him, because he's called us according to his purpose. If we believe those promises, how different life would be. What a joy we would have that others can see our good works and bring glory to, to our Lord in heaven, I think, in that. Anything before Shane? I don't want to steal Shane's thunder, but this was so interesting to me about faith. Abraham didn't turn a blind eye to those weaknesses, like what you're saying. He considered them. And this is the nature of true faith. He considered them in light of God's promises and who he is. And that the barrenness of, of Sarah's womb, even though she was really old, and that Abraham himself was really old as well, he didn't ignore those per se. It's just the promises of God, the power of God. He had that in view. And that um, caused him not to waver in his faith. Yeah. <clears throat> Dan? Good. Shane? So I, I want to thank y'all for allowing me to talk about what I feel to be the crescendo of this chapter. I feel like almost everything is building up to what's happening in verses 19 through 21. And if I could read it. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years older, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning, concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in the faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And in verse 23, or 22, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Um, in our Thursday morning Bible study, uh, I was not meant to, to talk on 4, 13 through 25, but uh, I got a text at 9 p.m. the night before uh, on, on Wednesday saying that, I was now the new leader. So I, I, I spent you know, the next three hours studying up this passage. And what, what really was sticking out to me was the promise that God gave to Abraham. So I, I went back to, to Genesis 12 and, and just tried to look into the backstory of, of a man who was not Abraham at the time, but Abram. Um, and in verse, I'm sorry, in, in chapter 11, right before we see that Abram's father, Terah, had just passed away. And, and Abram, a very old man, is with his wife who's barren and is in a, a land of uh, Canaan. Right? Um, there's nothing glorious about this at all. You know, no one would, would look at this and say, this is the man that God would pick. Um, but what did God do? 
in, in verses 12, or, or, I'm sorry, in chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, he says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what a great promise we see here to a, to a lowly man. Um, and it's expounded upon more in Hebrews chapter 11. And this is where this gets really good. If you allow me to get there. Um, in verse, or in fact, I feel like I want to read verses 1 through 3 real quick. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For, it, for by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the world of God, word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Alright, verse 8, after that backdrop. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. This is the most beautiful part. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abram, not Abraham, Abram, this lowly man was given a promise that he would be have, well, that he would have descendants, as many as the sands of the seashore, as many as the stars in heaven. His father had just died, and he's looking forward to what? He's looking forward to a nation that God would build. But what happens in verse 13 of Hebrews 11? These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, just like all of us. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And what great city is it that we're all looking forward to? If we go to Revelation 21, we get maybe the most beautiful passage in all of Scripture. It's hard to read it without, not, without crying, um, but I'll attempt it. In verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. And to what extent Abram or Abraham knew of this great promise, of this great city, where all of our tears would be wiped from our eyes, I'm not entirely sure. 
but we all look forward to that same city. And that is why we can walk in the same faith footsteps that Abraham did. And that's why I think Paul continues after verses 21 to say that that's why we can be counted as righteous. Because we have faith in God. And, and I, I love what you guys were saying earlier about uh, wavering faith. Because we see Abram wavering, especially in his faithfulness. But in Revelation 21, the one who's sitting on the throne says, this is true. This will happen. And we can have confidence um, in his good will. Boy, that's great. And don't you think, Shane, that's why I thank you. That, and I love the way you're putting those three things together because that's why our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So that's why we should fix our eyes not on what's seen, but on what's unseen. Remember that what's seen is temporary and what's seen is eternal. Right. And that's what Abraham did, I think, is what I'm hearing you say. Right. I think verse 10, verse 13, verse 16, maybe 25, looking forward, looking forward. Don't forgetting what's behind, pressing on toward what's ahead. So much of life, I think, is, uh, is about that. Oh, that is so good. That is a great um, way to think through that. And Abraham certainly, um, I'm curious too, what he knew and what he didn't right. know. But he knew enough from Hebrews, we know he knew something yeah. of what was coming, the inheritance. Yeah. And what, what I think is the less he knew, the more faith and how much more beautiful that is. Yeah. That he could take God's word at, you know, at face value and trust in him. Right. He's trustworthy. Boy, that is new and really good their shame because we have revelation that can't we know right yeah in a different way yeah we we've i have a lot more oh doesn't that make it all the more ridiculous when we're not having faith yeah. you know we've read about the new jerusalem where abraham had to have more faith because he you know this has been progressive revelation there that's really good thank you verse uh number five uh, with respect to the promise, Abraham did not waver because of unbelief. He grew strong in faith. So, the often the things that tempt us to doubt God. Think about this. Often the things that are tempted that tempt us to doubt God are truly the things that God's using to grow our faith. The trials, and then believing God gives Him glory. Number six, believing God gives Him glory. That's from four twenty. No unbelief made him waver concerning his promise, but he grew strong in his faith. That comes through the trials, right? He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. We give glory to God when we believe him. Let's believe God. That gives him glory. Other people will see that uh, in our lives. Number seven, Abraham was fully persuaded that God's promise was certain and that his power was sufficient. Abraham was fully persuaded, and I guess our closing thought would be, are we fully persuaded? Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do uh, what he had promised. Um, that is why, and we'll come back to this a little bit next week, uh, Lord willing, but that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. This is great news. This is just not for Abraham, right? Who else is it for? 
but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. I think that'll be a great place to start um, next week, Lord willing, when we're looking at this chapter 5, 1 to 5. So good. So many great things to uh, camp on there, um, especially concerning the nature of trials. Josh, could you, any more closing thoughts by either one of you guys? I don't think so. I think Shane sealed the deal for us. Shane, thanks. We may have a question from the audience, Jerry. Yes. Uh, there is something I would like to say. Uh, it's regarding 4, 9 to where we're laughing. Uh, those of you that heard my testimony last week, you may remember it mentioned that I found out a ministry I was in had a false doctrine concerning baptism. Well, uh, International Churches of Christ, ICOC, thinks that salvation occurs at baptism, something like that. Well, uh, one set of verses I appealed to to uh, debunk that claim is Romans 4, 9 through 11, where it talks about Abraham being justified before circumcision. Well, uh, anyway, now, I actually discussed this with someone I know from before I joined at that pseudo-ministry. I will not reveal the person's name, won't even reveal the gender. Uh, but, uh, I told the person I found out about that false doctrine, and the person disagreed with me and agreed with that pseudo-ministry, and, uh, I pointed out Romans 4, 9 through 11, and the person replied, that's between God and Abraham. Now, two problems with that. One, honestly, I kind of think that's between God and Abraham. Kind of sounds like a cop-out. I apologize if that comes across as a bit too blunt. But uh, another thing, if that was just simply between God and Abraham, then why would Paul use it in his argument? <laughs> I think you're right, Jesse, and I think it is apples and apples. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think you are exactly right there. And it could be anything, whether it's baptism, if circumcision was a big deal back then, baptism, whatever you fill in the blank after faith is not going to save us. Good deal. Thanks. Josh? Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word again. Thank you for giving us the book of Romans. Lord, I pray this week that we would be quick to give you glory and we would be quick not to look at our circumstances or situations or weakness, but help us to consider your promises and uh, help us to look to your word uh, as our guide and as, uh, as we seek to live out the Christian life. Lord, thank you for these precious promises and for accomplishing our salvation through Christ. And I pray that we would live in honor of what he's done for us already. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Amen. Hey, whatever steep hill uh, you're looking at that's uh, pretty daunting this week, I imagine if we compare it to Abraham's, it's no steeper than what he was up against there, too. So uh, trust him. Thanks.